to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, J.J. Jerez. With me, Arif Dean of Mile High Sports and Peter Baugh of The Athletic. We're here to break down the second round of the playoffs coming up right around the corner. But guys, it's been, I mean, by the time the people are listening to this, it's been a week since we've seen Avs hockey. How are you guys doing? How are you guys spending your time here? Well, the schedule, uh, it actually worked out perfectly for me because my sister's graduation from college was this past weekend. So I I was so stressed that if Colorado and Nashville had gone seven games, game seven would have been tonight, which I got back like just not too long ago from Beloit, Wisconsin. And I was uh, quite worried that I was going to have to like figure out how to handle all of that. But thankfully, uh, the series got done fast enough for me to get there. Um, I even made a pit stop at home because the Avs took a few days off practice, so I wouldn't have been able to make it to practice anyway. And um, scouted the Blues in person. Uh, and Love it. And, uh, yeah, now I am back and excited to go to practice tomorrow. It feels like it's been way too long. The, the media availabilities are not the same without Peter Boston in the front corner asking all the questions for us. <laughs> We're all just looking at each other like, what the f- do we do no but it's been it's been a week the avalanche went back to practice uh what was it thursday friday at family sports and then they took saturday off today they practiced at ball arena we've talked to devon taves and kale mccarr we finally got to talk to darcy kemper we talked to ej we talked to bowen byram we talked to jt comfort we talked to jerry bedner 700 times we've done everything but watch an actual hockey game because again for the second year in a row the avalanche sweep through the first round and have to wait for everybody else to get done um so it's been a week. It's been a bit of a grind, but uh, I bet we're all excited for it. I'm, it's going to be kind of cool for you, Peter, because you're going back to St. Louis. Very short order. <laughs> yeah, if anyone needs food racks, just hit me up on Twitter. I'll give you all the good St. Louis spots. Now, love Peter, it, you said you, you scouted the Blues a little bit. Did you go to one of the games? Did you just? I got a creden- Yeah, I got a credential for game six. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I, I figured I would go, and I, I told our our wild writer and our blues writer i said the only way i'm writing something off of this is if brandon sod or tyson jost gets a hat trick tonight um but it was good <laughs> otherwise i'm here for a pleasure yeah well and i like talked to some people and like got just different outlooks on the series um but yeah it was a big big athletic weekend for me i i had the blues thursday night um the beloit track and field senior day friday um, <laughs> Ooh. i know big time ninth place finisher in the 10k maggie baugh uh, big time. Love it. And then uh, we had uh, and then I went to the I was it's right near Milwaukee in, in Beloit. So I went up to the Bucks and and Celtics game. T- uh, tickets were actually Damn. somewhat reasonably priced. So I saw my fellow St. Louis native Jason Tatum drop 44 or 46 and force a game seven, which they won today. So have now won. They did. Yeah. What a, what a great series that was. But, wow, you, you had a hell of a sports weekend there. Yeah, and then graduation today and now back in Denver. So good to go. Love it. Wow, pretty yep. active. Yeah, we kind of held the podcast for a couple hours to wait for Peter Ball just because JJ and I were like, we, we need the third voice on here. It's kind of like the media press conferences without Peter. We're like, what do we do without this guy? So we, <laughs> we pushed this back a couple hours to get the third voice in. Well, and then we held it for another 20 minutes because Albert Pujols started pitching, and I had to watch Albert <laughs> Pujols pitch. So <laughs> sorry for the delay. Well, and Eric, you and I have discussed this ever since Peter's edition. Like, you and I agree on way too many things. It's nice to have Peter's voice in there to kind of throw you – know, yeah. for lack of a better word, a curveball. I can us. be yeah. a contrarian for sure. 
Yeah, we, we we love a good contrarian here. Well, for me, Peter, the, the reason why I love having you on, I mean, other than the fact that you know your shit and it's fun to have you on, it's the fact that when JJ and I do a podcast alone, um, I don't want to call myself a mic hog, but it's about an 80-20 split <laughs> on me talking to JJ talking. So by the end of a 45-minute show, I am beat. I'm exhausted. And when Peter's on, it's less talking for me. Peter eats into that 80%, and it just it just flows so well. Well, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast then and start breaking down some abs hockey for the listeners. Here we are five minutes in, and we've only talked about Peter's weekend. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, we give the people what they want. <laughs> Here we are, you know, uh, Sunday night, if you haven't picked up on that. We're still waiting to hear as to the schedule of the avalanche. But in the meantime, let's get into it, right? Uh, Arif, I remember a year ago, you and I were recording a playoff podcast in between the first and the second round, much like now, and we were having the debate is all this rest good for the team, right? And Jared Bednar came out and used the terms, rest is a weapon for us. So um, I guess let's let's look at that quote again. I mean, does that still apply? Do you think that's how the Avalanche are feeling right now? Or do you feel like this eight, maybe nine-day break could be detrimental? I don't think it's going to be detrimental. I think they really do appreciate the uh, uh, the break. The only thing is the Blues pretty much have gotten a break now as well, like, They've been, they haven't played for three or four days, and uh, it's kind of gotten to the point, and Jared kind of touched on this, where both teams are going in healthy, and he mentioned that, you know, the beauty of winning your series so fast is that you should be able to have the upper hand in terms of getting all this rest and going in and playing a tired team, and he's like, well, now it looks like the Blues have had three or four or five days off, so we're just going to play two teams that are fresh and ready to go. So I feel like it's a little bit different from last year, because we remember last year, you and I did two episodes in a week waiting for that Vegas-Minnesota series to end. We did rest as a weapon, and we did rest versus rust, and uh, we all know how it ended up. Avalanche in Vegas, game one, Colorado scored, I think it was six goals, maybe it was seven. They came out seven, and they just seven bla- one. Seven to one. Thank you. They blasted Vegas in that first game. And uh Vegas had played two nights earlier, the game seven against Minnesota. That's obviously not going to be the situation this time. Uh not only did the Blues not go seven games, but um they're definitely not playing tomorrow, Monday, uh, potentially Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, and the Blues have been off for a few days already. So it's a little bit different from last year. For the Avalanche, rest is absolutely a weapon. We saw a couple guys that were dinged up in the first round. They're going to be ready to go, um, and uh, they're fully healthy, and I, the Blues are not. They might not see Tori Krug. They might not see Marco Scandella. They've got a couple of other defensemen. I think Nicoletti also missed some time in that first round, so... Uh, the rest is still a weapon for the Avalanche. I just think that it's a little bit of a weapon for the Blues as well this time compared to last year. Totally. I think the latest was Berube was was talking as if it's possible that maybe Krug plays and Scandella he sounded hopeful on. So I, I definitely think that the Blues – the the I guess we don't have to worry about either team being rusty because either neither will be or both will be because they're both going to have a, a bunch of time off. Exactly. Yeah. So they're they're going to have a similar sense of either feeling out the game or coming out, you know, jumping and fire jumping in and firing on all cylinders. But I think the the biggest takeaway for me is that first round series was a lot more taxing on the Blues than it was on the Avs. And uh, obviously it kind of goes to show just how quickly the Avalanche went through their first round and the fact that Nashville's physicality, like they started here and then it just like took a dip down, down, down as they realized that they were getting pretty much their doors blown off every single night they kind of i don't want to say they gave up but they just they lost hope yeah i mean that being said you kind of mentioned there that the avalanche have 
two ways they can come out into that first round, right? On fire or maybe a little bit slow. So I guess, how do you expect them to come out of the gate in this first round series? I ask that because looking at last week's practice at Thursday, right? That was the first practice they had after the, the series and a day off. And it was high tempo. It was high pace, high energy. And it just felt like a playoff style practice to me, right? It just felt different. Um, so, you know, of course that was already five days ago, so it could have worn off by now, but I feel like the tempo and the pace of this team is going to be right where you need it to be. JJ, Thursday was three days ago. Oh, Jesus. Feels like five. <laughs> I know. I'm, lo- I'm losing track of these days. By the time people are listening to it, it's closer to five. That's playoff hockey, though, for you, yeah, right? That's exactly, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no. So they did. They start on Thursday. And if you remember, JJ, because I know you were there for that practice Thursday when we podcasted, J- Jared mentioned that they were going to ramp things up the next day. And lo and behold, Friday, their practice was a lot more intense. And today at Ball Arena, it, it seemed like practice wouldn't end. We're all, all the media, we're all just sitting there watching the practice. And we're like, okay, great, this must be the end of it. Jared must be leaving the ice. And then they switched into power play jerseys and we're like, God, this is going to keep going. And like, they're just ramping up the intensity. They're ramping up. They're really hyper-focused. And um, if there's one thing you can credit the Avalanche and the Jared Bednar area is they don't show up late to a series. They come out hard. They did it in this series, in this round. They did it in pretty much every single round, even arguably the one against Calgary where they got shut out for nothing in game one before winning four straight games. They played a pretty good game one as the number eight seed. And I remember thinking, huh, the Avalanche could make this a series. And then they won four straight. So they never show up late to a series. They always come out firing. They always look good. Um, And as I say that, I remember that Dallas blew the wheels off of them in game one of their series. But um, in recent memory here, the Avs always come out strong. Last year, this year, we've seen it. and, And I think they will do that again. Peter, your thoughts on how they come out of the gate here to start the second round? Yeah, I think that, honestly, there's maybe if there's a little rust, it takes a few shifts, and then it's it's off, and it's playoff hockey, and they're good to go. I mean, this is a veteran group that has a lot of leaders and also some more older players that I think can be- – like, Landis got clearly taking a few maintenance days. Like, this time off is beneficial. McKinnon carries a heavy load all season and was banged up at points during the season. This is – good time off for him. Kale McCarr played 31 minutes in game four. Uh, or wait, no, that might have been game two. But anyway, Kale McCarr has played a lot of hockey this year. Devon Taves has played a lot of hockey this year. I think t- time off is generally good. I think that it'll be interesting to see how both teams come out. But I I, I don't know. I think the Blues are a really solid hockey team. Um, but I don't think that the way the Avs come out will determine the series, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think um – and I'm going to kind of say what I said on uh, on the radio show with Malahi Sports that I was on a couple of days ago when I was asked pretty much what the Avalanche's chances are at the series. And I said that the expectation is they should win this series. They are the better team. They are the deeper team. They are more set up for success in this particular time of the season, given the St. Louis Blues' injury issues. They've gone through two goalies. And they don't have the game-breaking star power that the Avalanche do. Let's just face it. But... How can the series get away from them is if it unravels. And kind of going off what you just said, I don't think the way they start the series is going to determine anything. I don't think so, but I think it can kind of play a factor. Going back to that Dallas Star Series in 2020, um, we found out later that Philip Grubauer played Game 1 injured, and uh, it didn't really help his case. But 
going into that series, the Avalanche were like crazy favorites. You know, I'm not even talking about like betting odds, just like the general consensus was the Avalanche are going to win the series and play the Vegas Golden Knights, who are probably going to win their series and they're going to meet in the third round in the bubble in Edmonton. And Dallas came out in game one and took a three to nothing lead in the first period. Chase Phillip Grubauer and everybody was kind of like, what the hell is going on here? And the series unraveled. And then we found out that Grubauer was playing injured. And then Frankie had to come in. And then Frankie got injured. And then Hutchinson came in. So, like, the series started bad. And then the injuries compiled. And the entire series unraveled. And despite that, Michael Hutchinson still forced the Game 7 by winning Games 5 and 6. And Game 7 went to overtime. So, about the only way that I can see this series being an L for the Avalanche. And for them not coming out with a victory here. And heading to the third round for the first time in 20 freaking years is by the series unraveling from the start whether it's the blues coming out strong and just kind of like rattling them whether it's coaching being you know correct craig berube out coaching jared bedner whether injuries start to pile up something's got to happen severely from the start for st louis to get a hold of the series um and to win it if the avalanche come out strong in the start i don't think it's going to be like last year where they lose four straight after going up to nothing i i should also clarify i'm not saying that the start doesn't matter like I think the outcome of game one and how the avalanche play in game one doesn't matter I just think that the rust that is there will be knocked off pretty quickly yeah and that oh yeah that I don't think there would be, be any a, rust a factor yeah. yeah so I don't I don't sense any team's gonna have much rust I think they're I think it's gonna be good hockey from the beginning we've seen we've seen from the Avs that rest only does them well and uh the Blues, I just sense, are going to be coming out hungry because they're a good team and they're deep. Yeah, and that's – I mean, the Blues' recipe to beat the Avs is their forward group being deeper than the Avs, which I think is a debate. Uh, the Avalanche having more star power at forward is not a debate. Which group is deeper between the Blues and the Avs is. Um, Bennington is going to have to play really, really well, and the, the D is going – and they're going to have to forecheck really, really hard because if the Avs – I just don't – the Avs are going to – the Blues D is going to get torched a couple times. And that doesn't mean that they're going to lose, but they have to forecheck and limit that as much as possible and play in their own zone – in the offensive, the Blues offensive zone as much as possible if they're going to win. I wouldn't predict that to happen, um, but I think that's kind of the, the path. And Bennington needs, needs to, to show, show up. I think Avs fans can rest their head on one thing, right? And me and my partner of the hockey show were talking about this the other day, and – this is my eighth season covering the team. This is his 10th or 11th. And I don't think either of us have seen their mindset be as focused, as dialed in as where they currently are, right? And that combined with how we've heard from Jared Bednar probably since he got here to Colorado about how he doesn't like starts, right? He's always focused on the start. We don't like our start. We didn't like our start. I didn't like our start. Well, you know, he's drilled in. So the combination of being as dialed in and focused as they are and Jared Bednar emphasizing the starts, I think they're going to be coming out of the gate pretty strong. I will say, I do think it's interesting because I've, there have been a couple times people have asked me about what's different about this year's team than last year in terms of mindset and mentality. And the truth is, it feels good right now for the Avalanche. They swept the Predators. They looked great. They're saying all the right things. They're that practicing hard. But do you know what else that looked really good? It looked really good after game one of the second round last year. Like, this team hasn't been punched in the mouth yet. And the first time this team gets punched in the mouth is going to be a big test because you're not going to get through four rounds in the playoffs without, without some adversity. And 
adversity being more than the Predators taking a one-goal lead in game four of a series that you're up 3 nothing. So we'll see. I, I would imagine some of that adversity will come this round. I do think that there are some things that make this team better equipped to handle that, mainly just that I think they're better at hockey and also have had more comeback wins this year. I've kind of shown they know how to play from behind. But I don't think that it's a given that – like, I, I think last year's team was really, really good and good enough to win, and winning is just really hard. And maybe game four was the one where that's the one where you kind of look at and are like, they came out flat. But game five, they came out playing well, and game six, they were fine So I against Vegas. So I kind of am like – the mentality might be different, but winning might also just be hard, and they might just get outplayed. I wouldn't bet on it. I think this Avalanche team is really, really good. But I think that that is important to remember that right now it feels like everything's going well, but they haven't been punched in the mouth. Yeah, so when JJ and I podcasted on Thursday, this was before it was the morning of Game 6 between St. Louis and Minnesota, and we had about a five-minute conversation of a hypothetical, if St. Louis wins today and you play St. Louis, what's that going to look like? And the the number one thing that I mentioned, and I'm not disagreeing with you, the way the Avalanche react when they get punched in the mouth for the first time in the playoffs is going to be massive. They're going to have to f- face adversity at some point. The number one point that I wanted to make was in the first round, they didn't face much adversity. Their adversity was their goalie damn near got poked in the eye. And as he said today, it was more eyelid than I. Um, they had an injury to Andrew Cogliano. And uh, what was the other one? There was one more little... Oh, yeah, Connor Ingram made 49 saves, and it was almost like, oh, my God, is the goalie going to steal this series or game from us? All very minor, not to, you know, undermine Darcy Kemper's potentially gruesome injury, but all very minor adversity, uh, you know, shots of adversity against the Avalanche. You can't really manufacture it, and I know a lot of people were kind of worried, like, were kind of, like, tweeting me, like, well, they played well, but they didn't face any adversity. It's like, well, you can't manufacture adversity. So it's just gonna de- it's just gonna depend on how they react to it. What we saw last year is exactly what you're talking about. They steamrolled the St. Louis Blues in four games. They won Game One against Vegas. They just barely squeaked out that Game Two victory. They almost squeaked out a Game Three victory. Vegas tied it late and won the game, and it unraveled. The first time they were punched in the mouth, they lost, and they couldn't they couldn't recover. Let me kind of compare it to another series: Tampa Bay versus Toronto. It still ended up being the same result, but Toronto actually was able to bounce back a lot better than they have in years past. When the Tampa Bay Lightning took a 2 to nothing uh, lead in Game 5, Toronto came back and won that game. When the Tampa Bay Lightning took a 2 to nothing lead in Game 6, Toronto came back and made a comeback and eventually got a lead before Tampa Bay took over the game. Went to Game 7, Toronto had uh, was trailing one nothing, tied it up. Trailing 2-1, to one, had a dominant third period, couldn't beat some guy named Andrew, uh, Andre Vasilevsky. So they were able to kind of face adversity a little bit better than they have in years past. And there's still a lot of similarities between those two teams. Toronto's demons in the first round and Colorado's demons in the second round. Um, obviously, Colorado's is not as bad as the Maple Leafs is, but I always like to look at what Toronto did, and I genuinely believe any team other than Tampa Bay Lightning, and they get through that first round. That doesn't mean anything to Leafs fans. That doesn't mean anything to Leafs management. That doesn't mean anything to Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and those guys. They don't care who they were playing. They needed to win that series, and they are upset that they didn't. The Avalanche are not facing the Tampa Bay Lightning. 
they need to be able to deal with adversity. They need to be able to overcome it. If they can overcome even a shadow of what the Toronto Maple Leafs went through and were able to fight back on, they should still win this series. But if they unravel the way they did against Vegas, St. Louis is going to walk all over them. And we have heard from Jared Bednar that, you know, he likes the mindset that it is different from, say, this point uh, last season where they were in between first round and second round and uh, that he is hearing different things in the locker room. He's hearing guys say the right things. And so he likes the direction. But Peter's right. I mean, it's easy to say that when everything's going right and you haven't really experienced a loss yet. I think it's also worth noting that a lot of the players on there's been a lot of turnover on this team. It's not the same core as last year's team. Well, it's the same core. It's not a lot of the, I mean, the fourth line is completely new. I mean, Logan O'Connor played in what? One or two playoff games last year. Not that many. Um, Helm is new. Sturm is new. Cogliano's new. Lackanen's new. Manson's new. Like these are all players who have pretty sizable roles who I, I said this earlier, like Josh Manson's not thinking of, Oh, the Avs haven't gotten through the second round in three years. He's thinking, oh, wow, I'm on a team that's really good. That's exciting. You know, like it's I, – so I think that that combined with – I mean, even like Eric Johnson wasn't there last year. He was hurt. Bowen Byram was technically healthy, but Jared Bednar didn't want to throw him in after he had missed a bunch of time, uh, which, by the way, Bowen Byram has said was a good thing in retrospect because some of those concussion demons came back later in the summer. Um, but I, I think that you, you look at this team and it is a different makeup just in terms of personnel. And then I think that heartbreak and experience lends itself to better potential results in the future. Gabriel Landeskog knows what it's like to – and I do think it's worth differentiating between the, seven, the, the three second-round series that they lost, where the first one was they were the plucky young team that wasn't supposed to get that far and they lost – when they were supposed to lose the Dallas series, everyone got hurt. Vegas is the one that stings because Vegas is the one that they gave away. And it's not even that they lost. It's how they lost in their collapse. And I think that there's a lot of lessons that can be taken from that. And I would, if Gabriel Landeskog is the player and captain, we think he is, then he would have learned from it. And that, that doesn't mean that they'll necessarily win this series, but I, I think I struggle to see the same thing happening twice in terms of an utter collapse. It just can't. It it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like this team is coming into the second round shaking at the thought of like we can't get through this. Um I I, I don't know. I, I feel that sometimes that this idea of the second round demons being a little bit manufactured at points, just because of what you said. They they shouldn't have beaten San Jose. Dallas, everybody was hurt, and then they finally lost the series that they deserved to lose. Or you know, because they were outplayed and they gave it away. And that was against Vegas last year. Um, the the interesting thing to me is obviously what you said, that a lot of these guys have nothing to do with these past series. And even some of the guys that are on the team, like Eric Johnson, didn't even play last year. Bowen Byram's been on this team for what seems like forever. He made his NHL debut in early 2021. This is his first time playing in the second round. Hell, that first round against Nashville was his first time playing in the first round. He'd never played in the playoffs. So even the Avalanche's blue line, I mean, we talk about how a lot of the guys are the same. Well, you know, Bowen Byram and Eric Johnson aren't new players, but they didn't play in the playoffs last year. It was, it was Taves, it was Makar, it was Gerard, and then it was Connor Timmins, Ryan Graves, and Patrick Nemeth. Those three guys are gone. They're replaced with Manson. They're replaced with Byram. They're replaced with EJ. And then there's a whole bunch of depth guys that are looking to play in Jack Johnson, Ryan Murray, and Curtis McDermott. So there's... Tons of new guys here on these teams now where it just 
I mean, what's Josh Manson got to sit there? You know, they, people were asking him yesterday. First of all, someone like Josh Manson isn't phased at all by anything. I remember on Friday, somebody asked him, are you superstitious at all? Because it was Friday the 13th. Are you superstitious at all? Do you believe in things like that? Friday the 13th? He goes, let me tell you something about Friday the 13th. I got married on Friday the 13th. Doesn't care about any of that. If this dude got married on Friday the 13th, doesn't have any superstitions. He's not coming into the second round thinking, this logo that I'm wearing on the front of my jersey has lost three straight second rounds. Whatever am I going to do? So these guys aren't thinking of it. They genuinely aren't. And like you said, the guys that have been here for a few years in Gabe Landeskog, McKinnon, that core, and like you said, you know, the leadership at the top, I just can't sense that they're going to let this happen twice. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't think that this is – I think the Blues are a really solid team, and I don't, I don't see this series as a given by any means. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's, it's – it would be foolish for – and I mean, here's the deal. Like, I, I, I read the comments on my stories on The Athletic, which you can subscribe to and comment on your own, um, which would be gra- greatly appreciated. But the, like – the Avs fans are all overconfident and the Blues fans are all, we've got them right where they want them. The, the Avs are overconfident. And it's like <laughs> the Avs, I mean, from what we have heard, are not taking this for granted. Avs fans might be, but there is a very big difference between the two, yeah. you know? Yeah, the fans, the, the, the mentality of the fans and how they feel is not necessarily going to uh, emanate to what the players are feeling and how they're thinking going into the series. Um but absolutely not. The Blues are not, you know, a cakewalk of a team. When you look at the difference between these two teams, the top 10 scorers on both teams in the regular season is eight forwards and two defensemen. So, or sorry, for the Blues, it's nine forwards and two defensemen. For the Avalanche, it's uh, eight forwards and three defensemen for the top 11 on each side. So looking from the bottom, the 11th most points on the avalanche was Samuel Jard with 28 points. And then to round out the top nine forwards and points were JT Comfer and Alex Newhook. They each had 33. JJ and I talked about this when we podcasted on Thursday, the eighth most, or sorry, the ninth most points on the St. Louis booze. That means that's the third forward on their third line was Brandon Saad with 49 points. These guys put up a lot of points. Their top nine scorers are all forwards. It's 49, 57, 58, 58, 60, 75, 76, 77, 82. And then their top two defensemen in scoring are Justin Falk and Tori Krug. And then Colton Pareko comes in at third, 47, 43, 35. These guys are spread with talent. There is a ton of I mean, it. they scored more goals than the Avs this Yeah, year. exactly. They have a lot of talent. They have a lot of – do they have the top of the, the, top of the crop, you know – game breakers at the avalanche do absolutely not nathan mckinnon kale mccarr and we all know nate uh, miko rantanen is going to take take off at some point i would assume but you know the avalanche have the game breakers but the blues are loaded i mean that's just the reality brandon Saad was playing on the avalanche's top line last year he's the ninth highest scoring forward on that st louis blues team right now yeah i mean i think the blues forward group is loaded their 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 defense can be (laughs) leaves yeah their defense leaves uh you know leaves you wanting more and i think that's the biggest thing that st louis lost from their cup year is they lost you know jay bomeister they lost alex petrangelo and i believe there's one more guy um joel Joel edmondson and vince and vince dunn thank you yeah so you know i think pareko of their game seven lineup might have he might be the only one left because gunnerson also that's true oh man carl gunnerson i forgot about him Long time leave wins the cup. Game two, game two <laughs> yep. overtime winner. Yeah, that's right. 
So, uh, yeah, but, I mean, Justin Falk is, you know, he's had a bit of a redemption season, didn't really have a strong year last year. Tory Krug uh, sounds like he's going to play and probably hurt. Maybe. Yeah, and if he if he does play, he's going to be hurt. We all saw, you know, we see what happens when injured players play. We saw Braden Point try to tough it out in Game 7 yesterday against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and we all saw how that ended. So we'll see just how effective Tory Krug's going to be. Colton Pareko, Marco Scandella may or may not be in the lineup. Uh, Nick Letty, Mayor Perunovic is which Perunovic is worth keeping an eye. Yeah, on. Perunovic is worth keeping an eye on. I thought it was pretty cool to see that, you know, he was practicing with like the top power play before games five and six. So that's somebody that they're you know obviously think highly of and understandably so. But Callie Rosen, Callie Rosen's played a lot of minutes for them lately. He's been their second or third highest minute munching defenseman in some of those games. So they're definitely taking a little bit of a beating on the blue line. And they've played a lot of 11-7 games recently. 11 forwards, 7 defensemen, and they're kind of trying to do that so that they can use those top 9 forwards I keep talking about. They can use them on the fourth line. And, uh, you know, that obviously means what it means. It means that the Avalanche are going to trot out Darren Helm, Andrew Cogliano, and, you know, Logan O'Connor and Nico Stern. Three of those guys are going to come out, and they might be going up against a Braden Shen or an Ivan Barbashev, or a Jordan Cairo, or something like that. So they're they're going to have their work cut out for them in that sense. And what that says to me is the coaching is going to be a large part of the series. Jared Bednar is going to need to make sure that he, um, you know, is, is meeting Craig Berube matchup by matchup and line by line. And with the current play, playoff format, I feel like we put too much stock into which round you get eliminated in, right? I mean, you either get there or you don't. We just saw a first-round matchup with St. Louis and Minnesota where, you know, it was a first-round matchup, but both of those teams had more points than Edmonton, L.A., and, you know, it, it would have been seated differently in a different world or reality, I guess. So I think as players, the Avalanche are just thinking they just need to overcome, they just need to get through and just get to the end. I don't think they're thinking about round by round. They just want to, you know, transcend. A lot like John Cooper was talking about with the Tampa Bay Lightning, how they're facing the door of greatness right or whatever they said they just want to get through it i think that's what the avalanche are thinking they just have to overcome this hurdle yeah they've got to do it though it's it's it, it, we can say it all we want but yeah i'm i'm curious until you how until you do it you haven't done it and that's the most important thing and you know that doesn't even take into account that um it's funny because i was gonna say st louis has used both their goalies but so is colorado and and you know the avalanche had a breezy good old time with Jordan Bennington last year and uh if that gets away from them well at least Bennington is backed up by somebody that can jump in and you know take over for him this time around so um I'm really curious to see how the series goes from the goaltending standpoint as well even for the Blues mostly all right well I guess that awkward silence and we're about halfway through the podcast here so I guess it's a good time to talk about our friends over at Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available and did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Arif, since you were the only one of us three to make it to today's practice, that is Sunday, um, I know we heard that Gabe Landeskog and Eric Johnson both out on a maintenance day, but aside from the high-tempo practices, is there anything I'm missing that we got to get uh, in there? 
no, I I think it's definitely it's 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 very apparent that uh, I'm thinking that Jared Bender is going to stick with the same lineup that he had because we saw Alex Newhook filling in for Landeskog on the second line with Lekkinen and um, and with what's his face Nazem Kadri, so the, he had Abe Kubel still there with Comfer and Burakovsky, and what that says to me is. Newhook's obviously the extra. He's the one playing that extra spot, which is, you know, filling in for Landeskog. So I think the biggest takeaway that I had is it looks like Jared might be starting with that same lineup that he had to end the National Series in game one. And we'll see how it goes. If you need the extra offensive firepower, well, you'll have an Alex Newhook that you can put into the lineup in a pinch. Um, the fourth line's still unclear because that's one where we saw, uh, you know, again, four guys playing on that uh you know, wearing the same color jersey and playing on that. It's Nico Sturm, Cogliano, Darren Helm, and Logan O'Connor. Um, so not sure which way he's going to go with that. I would sense it'll probably be Logan O'Connor, but it wouldn't surprise me either way if it's Andrew Cogliano to start. Um, and then other than that, I mean, they're they're ramping it up. Their power play was was uh, practicing some drills, and it's the same power play units we saw, obviously, with a fill-in for Landeskog. Is there anything else we need to read into these two maintenance days? No, Jared said so himself, um, and obviously, you know, the coach is always going to say something like that, but uh, not necessarily. It's, you know, it's that time of the year, and it's Eric Johnson, it's Gabe Landeskog. These are guys with hard miles on their body. Uh, Gabe Landeskog didn't play for seven weeks, jumped in for the first round, had a hell of a series. It's going to be okay if he misses a day of practice. I don't think there's going to be any rust there. Right, I doubt he sprains an ankle or hurts his knee coaching his little daughter's soccer team. yeah. It was cool. Yeah, cool to hear about that. You know, P, you know, Nathan McKinnon said he was going to play some video games and hang out with his dogs, and Gabe Landeskog's out there being a dad. All right, well, let's dive a little deeper into this series and, uh, you know, just try to keep breaking it down here for everybody. Um, I want to get into your guys' expectations for the series. What do you guys think is going to happen, I guess, just in a matchup standpoint? Is it going to be good defense on good defense? Is it going to be a goaltending battle? Are we going to see... The story of two power plays versus two penalty kills, or you know, is it going to be a physical series? I guess I'll I'll start and then I'll let you guys answer, just because I'm I'm sure you guys might try to steal mine. I I'm going to go with a physical God, series, right? It. It, it's going to be a physical one. I think there's going to be revenge on the St. Louis Blues' mind. I think that's really going to be their mo. I think they're going to be not only you know for Justin Falk. I think you know perhaps they're over that, but I think. The embarrassment of getting swept and just what happened last season is still going to be fresh on their minds, and they're going to come out for I'm vengeance. Gonna, I'm going to uh, do a little 180. I I don't. I think maybe it'll start physical, but I think the danger with physicality is if you try and play too physical with this Avs team, especially a guy like Kale McCarr or Nathan McKinnon or someone like that, you'll get burned really fast because they can get around you, and suddenly you're it's an odd man rush. So. I could see it starting physical. I think that this might be a little less physical of a series than we'd expect. Also because the Blues decor isn't – I mean, I don't – It's not that big. I, I, Yeah, I don't feel like there are as many bruisers. I mean, like, Tory Krug can lay a hit. Don't get me wrong. And, like, and I'm not saying that the fact that they're not as heavy is a bad thing because I honestly prefer watching teams that score a lot and are – a little more skill oriented, but I, I kind of wonder if this will be less physical 
than we think. I think the Blues would be silly to come out with the physicality because of what you said. It's because of the fact that, I mean, if you come out, oh, Calgary just tied it, 2-2. I hate those live updates on a podcast. They sound terrible when you hear them the next day. Um, But, uh, yeah, my bad. I know you guys are keeping it quiet, and I'm over here spoiling it. Um, What the hell was I even saying? Oh, yeah, the Blues would be silly to come out with the physicality because, like Peter was saying, like that's not the way to combat the avalanche. It really isn't. And I know in years past it has been. And we saw last year that Vegas took it to the Avalanche physically and the Avs went out and they brought in Curtis McDermott and every old school hockey guy's talking about how we have the deterrent now and yada, 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 blah, 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 whatever. The fact of the matter is, if the Blues try to play a physical game with the Avalanche, um, the Avs are just going to score goals and the Avalanche have a lot more physicality in the lineup than they did in years past and and they're not going to be afraid to use it. Uh, The reality is we just spent the first chunk of this podcast talking about how the blues are deep and they have a lot of offensive weapons that's how you should be beating the avalanche you're not the you're not the Nashville predators with a third line that is gonna go out there and hit you every chance they get you're a team with a third line that the third highest score on that third line is 49 points you should be trying to match the avalanche offensively rather than physically um because that's how you're gonna beat this team you're gonna want to score more goals with them and you might have the weapons to do that Hot take from Arif. You're going to want to score more That's goals. That's how you win hockey games. you got to score more goals than the other guy. Isn't that, like, the biggest hot take? Hey, Toronto scored more goals than Tampa. Look how that Yeah, that's up. true. How about for my guy Nazem Kadri? What kind of mindset do you think he has right now? Because, obviously, we've all, we all remember the hit from last year. He doesn't want it to change his game at all, right? And if you're the Blues, you don't want to spend your time chasing around and trying to agitate Nazem Kadri and losing focus from the game. So I guess, how do you guys anticipate Nazem Kadri's approach to this series? It's it's interesting because I think I don't think you can go into a series and play tentative and be thinking about it too much. And he said as much when he spoke most recently, I believe. So I'm I'm that's a great question because I'm curious. They will try and get under his skin. We saw Luke Cunning kind of take a few jabs at him and Josh Manson come in and take care of business there. I I don't know. I'm of the mindset that I thought the Kadri hit on Falk last year was bad. I also don't think that it was retaliatory like in past years. And because of that, I don't think – I don't necessarily see him doing the same type of like cross-checking Jake DeBrusque in the face type incident, you know? Yeah. So we'll see. I, um, but I'm, I'll be curious. I think he's an X factor for the series. And, you know, like Nazem Kadri, I think kind of likes playing the villain a little bit and he knows the blues don't like him. I don't think he likes them very much. Like he, when Justin Falk fought him in the second game of the series, he, remember he fought the blues two the, both the first two games, he fought Braden Shen and he fought Justin Falk. And I think I asked him, the second game was in St. Louis and I asked him about, uh, I was like, are you ready to be done with this? And he was like, well, they're clearly not or something yeah. like that. You know, and he like, had Jordan Bennington swing I, a stick at him. Yeah. So they, I, I don't think Nazem Kadri would mind scoring a few big goals on Jordan Bennington. Um, I will say that much. And what I like about Kadri's game is it's the mindset he's had all season. We've seen him stick it to guys on the score sheet this year more than any other year. And I'm not just saying that because he obviously has more points than any other year. It's, 
you've seen him get away from that physicality. You've seen people try to get to him, and he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do this, and then goes out and puts up a three-point night. Uh, Nashville, Luke Cunning tried to do it. Before we even knew how Nazem Kadri was going to react, like you said, Josh Manson took care of business. That's a nice way of saying Josh Manson literally tackled this guy to the ice. Um, so the Avalanche know what they're dealing with here with Nazem Kadri. Nazem himself knows what he's dealing with. I can't see him doing any of that crazy, silly stuff, like you said, the Jake DeBrus kind of things that were leading to, you know, retaliatory suspensions when he was with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I think he's going to have a great series. This is a guy that the Avalanche were missing in the second round last year, and they're going to have him this time around. Um, he's he's going to be a difference maker, and he wants to be. He's in a contract year, and he's aching to to get to that third round for the first time in his career. And I like to think that the Blues are over it, right? I mean, the first two games were early on in the season, and those were the two where Nazem had to answer the bell, and he did. And by the time the last game came around, of course it was the last game of the season, but it seemed like they were over it. They didn't seem to be chasing him around anymore or agitating him. So I think from a professional standpoint, if you're the Blues, you want to focus on the series, like I said. So um, I think it's best for them to put it behind him. It's best for Kadri to put it behind him and just play his game and not let it affect the way he plays at all. So I guess we'll see how that pans out too. Also, just a side note on the series. I, I've been accused already a lot from both Avalanche fans and Blues fans of being a homer. Um, so <laughs> a, I, a homer for I what? Like for to... your hometown or for the team you cover? Uh, both from That's both hilarious. sides. Um, I want to clarify, I will be sharing so much love for the city of St. Louis uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, greatest culinary city in America. Number one ranked city park in America. This does not, this is separate from hockey. This is bigger than hockey, you know? But we're not talking about the Blues and the Avalanche. I'm talking about the city itself, which I think is a lovely place, and also home to my dog, Dante. So Love it. <laughs> I'm going to be very excited about uh, the city of St. Louis, the foods I get to eat in the city of St. Louis. Um, that does not mean I am a fan of the Blues or the Avalanche. I'm trying to do a good job of being a journalist, uh, writing yes. objectively. And that is uh, my job, and I think I do okay at uh, the remaining objective part. You can judge the writing and the rest yeah. of it. But yeah. I, <laughs> I am responding to my haters. Yeah, so the haters, I have had somebody somebody tweeted me. It was probably around the trade deadline or something. It was a couple months ago. Somebody tweeted me something along like along the lines of, uh, Peter Baugh is always uh, so pro St. Louis and just such a big homer for St. Louis. And I'm just like, I am pro St. Yeah, Louis. Yeah. So I don't know if he was talking St. Louis blues or just St. Louis in general. And I'm like, God, that must be so annoying when the guy moves here from another city and doesn't stop talking about that city and keeps talking about Detroit. Oh, I mean St. Louis because I do the exact same fucking <laughs> thing. So I get it. It's literally what we do. So, you know, we're not Colorado natives like JJ is, and uh, I get it. It's fine. But, uh, yeah, shout out to Peter's haters. <laughs> shout, shout out to I his dog, you. I love too. you all. <laughs> uh, moving on, I guess uh, let's keep – Going down the docket here, I guess we already answered a couple of these questions, right? I wanted to get into what's going to be different this series versus last year's round one meeting. And I guess Peter already got to that saying, you know, he thinks it's going to be, I guess the physical side is going to be a little bit different and what's going to be the same. We kind of touched on earlier in the podcast. So I guess I want to get to this question. We know Jared Bednar loves the chess match of the whole thing, right? And he has been experimenting and thinking about what's going to happen in the playoffs for a really long time. I guess, how do you guys anticipate him being able to stay in the driver's seat and make sure that 
he's the one making the plays and calling the shots and less reacting to what the other coach or what the other team is strategizing? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I I, I am not going to pretend like I'm the greatest hockey mind of, of like that type of thing, but I think that I'm really curious to see I would be surprised if we see the same, even if no one gets hurt, I'd be surprised if we see the same lineup through this whole series. I think at some point, Bednar's going to make changes, whether that's bringing Alex Newhook in or moving someone up or down the lineup. I don't know. I, I think that there's such a fine line between being overly reactionary and being proactive, and good coaches walk that line and make the moves at the right time and not they don't flip out and do something too early. So I'm, I'm curious how, what those moves will look like. I'm curious when, because we're going to see the Landis Gog McKinnon ranting in line this series. We saw it at points last series when they needed a goal. I'm curious how frequently he'll go to that, how frequently he'll keep Landis Gog with Lekkonen and Kadri. It, there are so many interesting decisions. And I think that we're going to get a big look at his philosophy on game one, whatever game that may be. And that will be when we see who he puts out there against the O'Reilly line, the Robert Thomas line, how he, he plans on trying to shut those lines down and not get shut down by them. I think the O'Reilly-McKinnon matchup is fascinating because last year McKinnon torched him, them, yeah. all of them. He torched all the Blues, not just Ryan O'Reilly. I love Ryan O'Reilly as a player. I think he's excellent. I think he's great defensively, and I thought he was awesome in round yeah, one. Yeah, you're talking about – But I'm really curious – to see who who they have go against him and how they look. Yeah, you're talking about Ryan O'Reilly's biggest fan right here. Shout out me, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm a Ryan O'Reilly truther from 2009 until today. Uh, the biggest thing for me is this is something JJ and I touched on on Thursdays. Is exactly what you said. Is when is Jared gonna fiddle with the lineups in the sense that Landis Gog's probably gonna play with that top line at some point. Burakovsky going back with Kadri is an option. Val and Minival playing together is an option. There are so many things that we know can work that aren't being utilized right now. This is something I asked Jared Bednar about because JJ brought this up, and I love that he brought this up the other day, and Jared gave me a great answer about it, is Lekkinen gave them the ability to take the Nichushkin, Kadri, and Burakovsky line and literally put a guy on each line. Mm. So uh, I asked Jared about that because JJ mentioned that on Thursday and Jared was like, absolutely. Like this is literally, you know, I asked him if this is what he was expecting from Lekkonen. And he said, you know, we were expecting a second or third line forward. He said, uh, I think he mentioned something along the lines of like, you know, maybe leaning more third than second. But obviously there's been surprises from number 62. And that's what it did. It gave the avalanche the ability to be like, all right. We can put Burakovsky, Nichushkin, and uh, Kadri each on their own line, even though that was the second line the whole season, pretty much, when they were healthy. And uh, it's working out perfectly. All three lines gel. But we also saw at some point during the regular season, obviously it was with Comfer, but we know that Val and Minival and Lekanen and Nichushkin, they look good together. You know Burakovsky and Kadri have uh, chemistry. You know Nichushkin and Kadri have chemistry. You know that uh, Landis Gog, McKinnon, Rantanen have chemistry. There are so many ways that he can go about shuffling the lineup. And if you remember, Peter, the entire season, the Avalanche were winning games. And Jared said, I'm going to fuck around with the lineup today and just kind of try things out. And he kept talking about trying things out. And this is why. So I think Jared has been setting himself up all season for a coaching matchup to basically to be able to say, if things go wrong, I have things to do. And 
you know, we're all going to sit there and be like, Jared was so great with his coaching and he matched Barube line for line. And Jared, as he listens to our podcast every episode, because we know you do, Jared, is going to sit back and be like, ha, these guys are crediting me because I put Landeskog back with McKinnon and Ranton and Captain Obvious over here. So he has set himself up. He has been working all season to this point to be basically be able to say, I have choices. I have options. I have, you know, I'm, I'm, I have some moves to make in this chess match over here that are actually going to be able to checkmate Craig Berube and the St. Louis Brews rather than just be the guy that doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So he moves a pawn up one step and does nothing with it. So I think the Avalanche are, or Jared Bednar has, has learned from the last three years, and this is going to be his opportunity to get into a coaching matchup against the Stanley Cup winner in, in Craig Berube. It's going to be really exciting to see how it goes. Do either of you guys play chess at all? I do. I grew up playing chess. I, I I've gone it. through some phases. I love that game. Yeah. I fit- The reason I Oh, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say fifth grade chess club was That was literally me. me. Yep, I, fifth uh, grade chess club. I I uh I was I was in third place position, I think, and you got a trophy if you were in third place, and I really wanted a trophy. And then this guy named Asan Moore, who was very nice. <laughs> I sat down to play him one week. Um, and checkmated me in like three or four yeah. moves with the same thing that they did in the, the Queen's Gambit when Scheibel, the teacher, like, che- I forget what maneuver it's called, but like you bring the bishop out and the queen up and then you suddenly checkmate really your, quickly. Your memory is immaculate. He did that to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did that to me and I just, the second half of the chess season just imploded. I was like the abs in game four <laughs> against Vegas. Well, in fairness, Arif, Peter fifth grade for Peter was like six years ago, so yeah, wasn't wasn't that <laughs> long. A, but no, well, the point I was gonna make is in chess, right? When you're the white pieces, you're on the offensive, right? You're the one in the driver's seat. You're the one in control. The black pieces kind of have to be reactionary there on their heels until suddenly something switches. I think Jared Bednar has to make sure throughout this series that he's the one not being reactionary but making the Blues react to what he's doing, making the Blues, you know, kind of be the one on their heels and and reacting to his moves rather than the other way around. Absolutely. This is the team with the higher level of game breakers. That was a very terrible way of saying that the Avalanche have more game breakers. This is the team with the home ice advantage. This is the team with all of the... uh, all, like everybody and their mother is considering the Avalanche the favorites right now. This is the team that needs to come out and be at the driver's seat, and they know it. Jared Bednar knows it. Everybody knows it. Right on. So I guess as we start closing out the podcast here, I wanted to end with a little fun question. This is actually Peter's question, so uh, his fun that he's adding to the podcast. I want to get your guys' opinion here. So we saw in Game 7 last night, Toronto versus Tampa Bay. I think that's the one Game 7 everybody watched, right? I know we've all kept our eyes on all five of the Game 7s, but that was the must-see TV Game 7. In that Game 7, we saw Nick Paul score. Toronto native Nick Paul. Nick Paul scored twice. Some some people out there saying, who? Nick Paul, right? And before the game, you heard Corey Perry kind of talk about that and say, in Game 7, sometimes it's uh, a guy somebody's never heard of scoring the biggest goal of his life and getting you through, and that's kind of exactly what happened. So that being said, put the avalanche in this situation. Who is, a, I guess, a underdog person to come score a giant goal, a pivotal goal for the Colorado Avalanche in a playoff game? Who would who would you guys throw out there as a name that, you know, maybe you wouldn't expect to, but comes in clutch? I changed my mind um, about 30 seconds ago and decided to go oddly specific so that it, if I'm right, you can, we can like clip this, post it on Twitter and I'll get like some clout. <laughs> and if I'm wrong, no one will remember it. 
But game four <laughs> of St. Louis, Colorado will go to overtime. Miko Rantanen will hit, hit a post on a power play <laughs> about four minutes into overtime. The game will go to double overtime. And then Kale McCarr will fire a, a, one of the, his like little well-placed wrist shots in. Jordan Bennington will barely get a piece of it. And do you know who's there to clean up the JT. mess? Nico Sturm. Nico Sturm. Love it. First avalanche goal. <laughs> Double overtime game yeah. four. That's a dark horse, no In doubt. true uh, bias toward Detroit fashion, I'm going to go with Darren Helm. Simply because he didn't score a lot during the regular season. Coincidentally, he always scored or put up points against the Red Wings. But uh, this is a guy that's been playing incredible playoff hockey for the Avalanche relative to what he had in the regular season. This is a guy that in his heyday when the Red Wings won the Cup in 09 had a massive overtime goal for them, uh, which... No, they, they lost the Cup. Oh, sorry. Yes, 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 yes. yes. I know, yeah, my bad. The, the year that they lost the Cup, he had a massive overtime goal for them. In 2011, when they went three rounds deep, he had a game-winning goal. He had a big goal for them. Uh, he's done it before. He's looking to do it again. He's 35 years old. Shorthanded? Um, oh, that would – yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Shorthanded game winner for Darren Hellman this series that, or, you know, in these playoffs at some point. That's a guy that's been, you know, pretty much played 80-something or 70-something games with the Avalanche throughout the regular season to get to the point where he can finally play in the playoffs again. 35 years old, hasn't been in the playoffs since he was 29 and uh, is excited for it and has shown it through the first four games in the playoffs. He's been pretty much running through a wall every single day with his excitement and the level of uh, play that he's shown in those four games. So I'm going Darren Helm. I'll go with Alex Newhook. What darker horse than the guy who hasn't played a minute yet, right? And maybe in his first game, uh, you know, because he's a goal scorer. I've been saying that all year. The dude just has the knack. He knows how to bury the puck. So he might get in there, score a huge goal, and force Jared Bednar's hand. Like, oh, suddenly I, I have to play this kid scoring such a big goal. But, um, yeah, we'll see who's right or if any of us are even close. But I think Peters is, like he said, oddly specific. <laughs> I'm literally, if if we're just going to stop the podcast if Peter is right pretty much to the T for that. Uh, but we'll what does it say about, yeah, Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Peter Baugh. Holy shit, what a genius. Um, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a pro. <laughs> Uh, shout out to Peter's haters once again. Um, but yeah. what does that say? Dante. And Dante. Dante's a, a saint. Just an absolute pleasure. Um, but what does that say about the Avalanche's fourth line? That we're going Nico Sturm and Darren Helm for two of them and then the rookie and Alex Newhook. It's, these are the kind of guys that they wanted to bring in to be those depth players, to be the difference makers. And I mentioned this last week. Mike Rupp scored a Stanley Cup game winning goal once. Remember that? Like Those are the guys that you want. And, and the Avalanche and Joe Sackick went out and fished for a couple of them. And Andrew Cogliano might not play in the second round because they don't have no space for him. And he's another guy like that. So those are the players you want in the playoffs to succeed. Right on. So uh, anything that we didn't cover at this uh, upcoming round that maybe you guys are trying to keep an eye on? Um, I think, I mean, the goalies will be fascinating. Uh, O'Reilly versus McKinnon will be fascinating. If Edmund, if Colorado and Edmonton get goes through, then Colorado will have to go against Matt Duchesne, Ryan O'Reilly, and Tyson Berry. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Love it. Well, they and if Calgary gets through, Zadorov's there too, right? So it's yeah, that is true. Too, or? Yeah, Zadorov once traded for Ryan O'Reilly. That is true. Um. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I don't know. I'm just really excited. I'm really anticipating when the schedule will be announced, which hopefully we will have in the bio of the uh, 
of the or the not bio but the description of the podcast when it comes out yeah you guys will know when this game one is being played by the time this is being recorded but as of right now the flames and the stars are 2-2 it's 9 19 p.m mountain time we don't know yet it's looking like tuesday maybe wednesday but lo and behold we're getting playoff hockey back at ball arena in the next two to three days regardless and i am so pumped for it it's been a while Right, what a tease that first round was. Just two home games, two rocking home games. So I'm hoping to see uh, Ball Arena get rocking again. And you know I love those pom-poms, and the crowd was so good in those first two games. They I can't incredible. wait to see what they do for round two here. They were, they were so fun. I remember at the end of the second game when Kel McCarr won that overtime uh, game winner, and, and JJ and I finished the post-game podcast. You know, this is when the Avalanche were up 2 nothing. JJ looked at me and went, great, so they're going to sweep the series. We just got to do what we did the last couple times three more times and we're done that's the whole stanley cup playoffs like holy crap that's it just you know eight home games it looks like so it yep. went by <laughs> went by really really fast there but shout out you for predicting the uh the sweep there but um i don't think it was that hard of a prediction to make at that point yeah exactly it was it was pretty obvious it's written in the sand is that even a saying ah why do i always try sayings when i always get them wrong <laughs> Yeah, um, another another thing really quickly. I know we're talking mm-hmm. about McKinnon versus O'Reilly. Another thing that I'm excited for is Landeskog versus O'Reilly because we all saw in the playoffs last year there was the I think it was game two when Landeskog steamrolled O'Reilly and then the Avalanche went and scored. Like that was the, the the moment that you knew like St. Louis was dead in the water. So I'm excited to see this Ryan O'Reilly series against everybody basically. And he's playing great. He has, yeah. Recent recent father. Well, he was already a father, but he had yeah. a daughter. He flew commercially back to, I forget between which game, because he was going to, uh, his daughter was born. So Yeah, he's got three kids now. His first two were sons, so this is his third. Yeah. Well, no bulletin board material from Ryan O'Reilly this year, right? Last year he said, we're going in there and we're going to beat him. Then he got yeah. swept, so he'll probably he said, be I'm quiet not, I'm not going to say anything this time, so uh, we'll and see And you know what? I, I'm just going to say it. Him saying that didn't matter at all. Literally didn't matter at all. Just like Mark Messier guaranteeing the sweep didn't matter, and 30 years later we still talk about it like it's a folk tale that just changed hockey forever. I know. <laughs> right on, guys. Well, let's see. Uh, let's see how the schedule pans out, and we'll figure out when we come back to record based off that. Right, but either way, we'll see you at Ball Arena. We'll probably hit you with a post game podcast, and I hope everybody out there enjoys the second round and just has a blast and. Take it for what it is, because in a month, a month and a half from now, there's going to be no hockey at all. So enjoy the playoff hockey while you got it. Uh, that's all I've got. Any closing thoughts out of you two before we put a bow on this, baby? I'm good. That's it from me. Let's get Peter to sleep. He just came off a flight. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, I guess uh, that being said, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your beautiful little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you. Mm-hmm.